Welcome back in, Brady Farka Show, right here on this Friday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Full show tonight, all 90 minutes up until 7 o'clock. Red Sox baseball once again, late night tonight, 9-10 with the pregame show, 10-10 first pitch as the Sox squad to Seattle to take on the Mariners. And joining us now, as he did when the Mariners came this way, is Jason Churchill, who covers the M's and is also the host of the Baseball Things podcast and the developer of the Prospect Insider website. Jason, how are you? Hey, pretty good. Hanging in there. Been a little bit better baseball lately from <laughs> both of these clubs the last couple of weeks. Seattle since the Red Sox series and the Red Sox obviously starting pretty much with <laughs> the, the, the Mariners series there in Boston. Yeah, Sox won seven straight, lost last night to the Angels, so they've won seven of eight. The Mariners have quietly won eight of 12 in four consecutive series here. What's changed for Seattle from your vantage point? Yeah, I've been preaching this on my podcast quite a bit. They're putting together complete performances on a more regular basis. You know, prior to the last 12 games or so, uh, they'd get a lot of, well, they got good starting pitching, but didn't score any runs. Or they scored uh, seven runs, but the starting pitching gave up five, and the bullpen had to cover five innings, and they lost eight to seven. You know, it's yeah. like they just weren't piecing it together, and we've just seen so much more of that uh, of late. And, you know, the schedule is a little bit favorable as well, but they did beat the two of those four series you're talking about were against the Astros. So uh, they're kind of mixing in some good baseball against good teams as well as beating a couple of bad clubs. You know, it's it's interesting. I think we could both make the argument that this series is humongously important to each of our teams. Who do you think it's more important to? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, maybe Seattle, just because they're they're further to go. There's further to go for them. Um, Seattle's obviously chasing Boston for that that last wild card spot at this point. I think uh, you know three or four games back right now. I know the the standings in front of me, but uh, and Seattle is at home at this point, and they, they've. Uh, uh, they've been trying to play catch up for quite a while now, and they haven't really put together that seven game win streak like Boston just came out of. Yeah. And if they could get something going or at least keep this eight of 12 going, and you know, you get to 12 of 18 or 20 of 30, you know, just to sustain something, I think maybe it's a tad bit more important for Seattle. But Boston being on the road as well, you know, uh, it, there's a lot to be said for what can do for a club when you go out on the road and you play well. Um, and, and that's where Boston still is and where Seattle's coming out of. So, yeah, that's a tough question. That's a good one. Maybe just uh, just lean a little towards Seattle just because they have a couple of games further to go to, to get where they want to be. You know, I think that from the Mariners' perspective, they're catching the Red Sox in the most favorable pocket of pitchers they could, getting Hill, Waka, and then Whitlock, who's a little banged up and has been struggling since his transition to a starter. I would also argue that, uh, you know, the Red Sox are getting the Mariners in as close to a favorable a pocket as they could as well. Soft tosser tonight in Marco, and then you get a rookie in Kirby, and then you get Ray, who I don't know what Robbie Ray is right now. What do you make of the pitching and how it lines up this weekend? Yeah, I'm glad you said it like that. You put it like that because we hear talk about schedule quite a bit, and I've been preaching for years that you just can't look at the schedule and say you're playing a good team, you know, two of the next three series because it doesn't always work out that way because the starting pitcher – is so valuable and is such a huge factor in determining that. If you go to New York and you're playing the Mets, but Scherzer's on the DL, DeGrom's on the DL, uh, you're not going to face Bassett or Carrasco, you're in pretty good shape. Yeah. I mean, you should probably win two of those three games, right? Um, and, and that's what Seattle actually did a couple of weeks back uh, against the Mets. But 
when when you don't face the best of what they have, you're not getting that team, you know, in essence. So uh, I'm glad you put it that way. You're right. It, it's weird to see Robbie Ray struggle the way he has. And there have been a lot of uh, starts with him uh, where one inning has done him in. It wasn't really the case last time out. It was really two innings. And he just, you know, we talked about the team a minute ago, just piecing together consistent performances. We just haven't seen that from Robbie Ray. And yeah, it's the bottom of the, uh, you know, essentially the bottom of the the Mariners rotation. But George Kirby's actually thrown the ball pretty well and given him a chance to win quite a bit. Yeah, we'll kind of see how it pans out. I, I think with uh, uh, with Seattle, though, it, you look at that rotation and the lineup they're going against. Um, I think that's where Boston has the advantage. Uh, and, and T-Mobile Park's not the pitcher's haven that it used to be. So I, I kind of look at Boston and say, okay, yeah, they're on the road. Yeah, it's the bottom three in their rotation, but that lineup has a pretty decided advantage over Seattle's lineup. Even though Seattle's lineup the last two weeks has you know scored almost five runs a night, a uh, pretty big advantage to what uh, the Boston puts forward. So especially you know going up against, uh, uh, you know, you talked about the soft tosser and Marco Gonzalez doesn't miss bats, doesn't get a lot of ground balls and really struggles against power guys. You know, like when yeah. he misses, he's serving it up. And, and that's really something that could be said for the entire Mariners pitching staff starters and that bullpen as well is they're serving up the home run and, and Boston's going to hit them. So slight advantage to Boston there with the pitching matchups, considering the lineup they're thrown out against the other guys. Let me ask you about a guy with a local connection here that maybe you don't know about, but our station's heard all in Vermont. Well, Cal Raleigh's father, Todd Raleigh, is a longtime college baseball coach, but he's from Vermont, from kind of the northernmost point of our listening area up there in Swanton. So a, we got a, a group of closet Cal Raleigh fans here that listen and are always checking in with me on how he's doing. He's turned it around of late in a big way. He had, what, 10 RBIs on this last Mariners road trip, I know. Yeah, and he's doing it with power. The, the average still isn't there. He's cut down on the strikeouts a little bit, but at, at one point, uh, like 11 of his 15 hits were for extra bases. Like, yeah. I don't know what the count is up to at this point, but he's doing it with damage. Uh, you know, being a switch hitter takes some guys a little longer to get their swings going, but uh, it seems like at least from the left side, he's, he's getting the power stroke going and, and driving in runs, and he's going to get a lot of opportunities because – Luis Torrens, the other catcher right now, isn't hitting much, uh, has never really hit right-handers, even down in the minors. And Tom Murphy uh, is, is still on the uh, still on the IL. So Raleigh's going to get his uh, his opportunities. And when he, you know, you could say this about a lot of lineups, but when the Mariners get something from the 7-8-9 group, uh, they score a lot of runs. Uh, it, what's funny about uh, Raleigh, too, you know, in a connection with Boston is, you know, coming out of college, there are a lot of similar, you know, they're not the same player. But there are a lot of similarities between Cal Raleigh and Jason Veritek hmm. when Veritek was another former Mariners farmhand. Right, exactly. <laughs> you get both switch hitters, both uh, you know, you know, hit for power. And when they were coming up and, and early in their career, it was just uh, you know unclear how much average they were going to hit. Now Veritek actually turned that into you know a really nice career. Uh, but get it done defensively with their you know receiving and smarts and working with staffs rather than cannon arm amazing you know yada Merlina, you know type defense or whatever you want to call it uh so there are a lot of similarities there too so it's interesting that uh you know there's the vermont connection with his dad 
you know, I have been a longtime proponent of Haim Bloom. You know, for the entirety of the three years he's been here, I've really loved most of the things that Haim Bloom has done. He's talked about building a sustainable pipeline of talent, not just spend, spend, spend. I do think there are times where you need to spend and times where they could have spent more. But bottom line is, I generally like what Haim Bloom has done. The Mariners certainly, you know, they did it a bit differently. They went full tank for, you know, a three-year period. But the idea of infusing a, just endless waves of prospects is something that Seattle is doing. And that is what High and Bloom is trying to do here while also trying to be competitive. Talk to my audience about why that is important, because a lot of them don't seem to get it. They just want to spend, 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 spend. Right. Well, see, there's a limit. That's the thing. And, and you're right. I, I do that with my audience as well. It's the, it, we all want owners in Major League Baseball to just spend until, you know, there's nothing left to spend on. But there's a limit and we have to get to a point in our heads as baseball fans is no matter how much our owners spend, there is a limit. Your general manager is working with a budget. And you know what? Even if there was no actual budget, budget, the pockets aren't, you know, bottomless. You know, the Dodgers have a limit. So there's a limit to how many times the Dodgers are going to go out and spend big on a player. You, know, you go get Freddie Freeman. You already have Mookie Betts. They didn't spend on Corey Seager. They didn't keep Corey Seager. Like there's right. going to be a limit every team. So if the Dodgers and the Yankees have limits, your team's going to have a limit too. So if you build that pipeline, you build a player development system, a scouting system, uh, you can cover those bases. You can have kids come up. We've seen waves over the recent uh, the, the recent seasons in Seattle where you get the you get the Kyle Lewis's and the Justin Dunn's and the Justice Sheffield's coming up a couple of years ago. And then you get Jared Kalnick and Cal Raleigh and Logan Gilbert. Now you're seeing George Kirby and, and Julio Rodriguez. There are going to be two or three of those that really hit big that Seattle will not have to spend on those positions. So the less you have to spend in free agency, the better off you are. Now, a lot of times owners, as you know, Brady, and a lot of, a lot of fans know, Owners will use it as an excuse not to spend. We got guys on the farm. We're, we're good. We're good. But if the general manager has a good idea how to put together a, a, a good roster, Bloom is doing it. We'll see if DePoto is actually any good at it or not here in the next year or two. Uh, they can use that farm system in a lot of ways. You want to go to make a trade? If you don't have a farm system that's consistently pumping guys through, you're either not going to have the ammo to go make those deals, to go make the Chris Sale deal. Um, yeah. Or... You know, you're going to not be able to do that because you need those guys because you need the two or three good prospects you have. So we've seen the Yankees go back to this. Uh, but if you think back to the, the, the Yankees from the mid 90s and the early 2000s, that team was put together with their farm system. Bernie Williams, Andy Pettit, Jorge Posada, guys like that from Derek Jeter from their farm system. Uh, you go back to the, I mean, look in Boston right now, uh, yep. Rafael Devers, uh, Xander Bogarts, this guy from the farm system. And, and it's Vasquez and Benatendi was here and Mookie Betts, like that whole team, that world series, 2018 team, like a lot of that core, not so much the pitching staff, but you know, the, the homegrown position players, that was the team, right? You have to have some of that and it has to be somewhat significant or you're going to be in a position where all you're doing is throwing money at players. And when you do that, your your upside is limited. Your window to win is limited because, again, there's only so much money to go spend. When you do that, you get Pablo Sandoval and Hanley Ramirez here in Boston. Oh, oh boy, Pablo <laughs> Sandoval and a Red Sox. Oh, man. Hey, let me get you out of here on this. Let me ask you a Red Sox question, kind of a baseball philosophy question. So Chris Sale is still weeks away from coming back and helping this team. 
but the Red Sox today said they are open to using him in the bullpen. That might be they look, they have bullpen problems. Sale has notoriously broken down a lot, so maybe shorter outings would help him, would also help him get here faster. That said, I don't know that it's best for Chris Sale to be going up and down, warming up three times a week or coming in and throwing three times a week, given his history. If you're the Red Sox, what do you think is the best course of action in in handling Sale so that he is able to help you for the long term? Yeah, I don't think it's a bad idea to use him out of the pen, but I think, you know, at first, anyway, I I think I'd go at this, you know, if he was open to it, I I think that the player has to be sold that it's a good idea. But if you go to Chris Sale and say, hey, we can get you back in the big leagues and active early if we start using me out of the pen first, but here's what we're going to do. We want to use you for multiple innings most of the time, but we're going to do that two or three days a week. And there's not going to be this up and down that you mentioned, Brady, because th- that is a problem with a guy like that, especially coming off an injury so early. And if you kind of build him up the way we've seen guys do in their careers, the Johan Santana's of the world, for example, Chris Sale to some extent, where you're throwing two, three innings, and then you stretch it out to four and to five, and ultimately you insert him into the rotation. I think that could be good. That could be a good way to extract value out of Chris Sale a little bit sooner. But long term, I think you want him starting. Maybe he doesn't go back to being the the seven and eight inning type, but I think you want him starting because what are you paying him for? I mean, right. it, you know, so I understand that maybe there's a little bit bigger shot that he gets hurt again. But if you can get, I don't know, how many years are left on, on his deal? Two you know? after this, there's a vesting option, which he's not likely to hit. So really, so, we'll just call it two. If you can get 40 starts out of him between his return this season and the end of his contract, it doesn't sound like a lot because it's not even two full seasons. But if you can get 40 starts out of him and he's above average, it's probably worth the money. And then after that, you can just let him walk or whatever. Uh, If you throw him into the bullpen, he's just not going to be worth the money. Now, maybe that's just a sunk cost in a lot of situations and you just do it because you have to. But I don't know that you have to, and I think that's the tough part. There's not a lot of evidence that suggests, well, this is a guy you have to throw in the bullpen because otherwise he's going to get hurt. We're playing a little bit of a guessing game here and a mitigation game. Uh, I would work him back into the starting rotation at some point, You know, mostly because, and we talked about this early in the year, Brady, there's not enough rotation there still in in Boston. Uh, You know, Pavetta's doing his thing. I like him. Uh, He threw the ball pretty well last night except for – the long ball, uh, but he's had a decent season and, and should get better. Uh, Yavaldi is what he is, uh, is a pretty good starter. You know, at times looks like one of the best in the league, but they're still shy uh, on guys in that rotation that can make an impact. Uh, they need at least one more guy, I think, but go out and make a trade. Sure. Getting Chris Sale back would be a really great way to do that. Though. Well, people also are excited about the idea of getting Sale in the rotation so they can just kick Garrett Whitlock back to the bullpen where he had a .93 ERA, mm-hmm. and you know he's got an ERA over four as a starter. So we'll continue to bounce that one around as we go here for the next couple of weeks until Sale comes back. But Red Sox baseball tonight, 9-10 pregame show, 10-10 first pitch, Rick Hill. Uh, Rich Hill, rather, against Marco Gonzalez and uh, Jason Churchill on the phone line with us now. Jason, we appreciate it. Baseball Things, the podcast. Prospect Insider is the website. We'll talk to you again down the road. You got it. Thanks, Brady. Anytime.